I met our guest today, like I've met so many people in my life in a networking room, in particular in a National Speakers Association Zoom room. Yes, Zoom networking is real networking. And listen, Robin is one of those people that you immediately feel comfortable talking to and for some reason maybe feel the need to share things with. Perhaps it's because she's got a PhD in psychology and she's used to putting people at ease and creating a safe space for them. Welcome to episode 147 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I'm your host, Julie Brown, speaker, author, and networking coach. And today I am joined by Dr. Robin Buckley, author, professional speaker, and cognitive behavioral coach to discuss so many things, including five strategies to create success in your relationships. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. I knew I was going to like Robin the moment I met her, but then I discovered her TED Talk titled Why I Gave My Teenage Daughter a Vibrator and You Should Too, in which she presented a taboo topic in such an extraordinary, beautiful way, asking us to examine why we are comfortable talking about female pain and not female pleasure. From that moment on, I was a student in the classroom of Dr. Robin Buckley. She has written article upon article for publications such as Entrepreneur, Thrive Global, Medium, Nike, Chief, and so many more. In reading through her catalog of articles, I came upon one titled Five Business Strategies to Create Success in Your Relationship. And I knew that was what I wanted to discuss with her. Because think about it. Could applying what you know in business to your most important relationships result in greater relationship success? Well, Robin thinks the answer is yes. And so without further ado, let's get Robin in here to start breaking this down for us. Robin, welcome to the podcast. Julie, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be with you. Listen, I've never thought about looking at my relationships the same way I look at my business, but it does make sense. In my business, I have clearly defined goals and metrics that I've set for myself, but I've never thought about introducing something like that into my closest relationships. So when did you start thinking about relationships from this angle or start thinking about relationships like more strategically like a business? Absolutely. It probably happened about 10 years ago. So a lot of my work as an executive coach has been with female entrepreneurs, business owners, and executives. And these were just powerhouse women who really took charge in their careers and their professional lives. They knew what to do. They had great strategies and skills. And ultimately in our conversations, their relationships would come up because as women, we don't differentiate or separate. It all blends together. And so they would say things like, you know, I'm having this debate or this this issue with my spouse and I just don't know, you know, he or she is not listening. And instead of trying to reinvent the wheel, I would bring them back to, okay, well, tell me if this was a colleague or one of the members of your team, how would you have a difficult conversation? And they could list out exactly what they would do. And then I'd say, okay, why can't you do that with your spouse? And their immediate response was, oh, well, that's different. I'm like, yeah. but it's not. So you talk about the, so often networking, Julie, and, and how we network in various parts of our lives. And it's the same philosophy that we can take these strategies from our professional life and apply it to our personal life and get the same success that we have um, found in our careers. Mm -hmm. So that's what I helped women do. And over time, starting about 12 years ago, 
I started developing this model for couples to come in and have these conversations together. Okay. So you say there are five business strategies. We can break them down. The five. I'm hoping we can break them down and have time to break them down. So the first strategy, so beginning with the first one, is implement prevention in place of intervention. What do you mean by that? So that is simply that most couples, I think that's fair to say, most couples come into couples therapy or couples counseling mm. when there's a crisis. And that's when they start to develop some kind of plan about how to address the issues in their committed relationship. To me, we would never do that in business. We wouldn't wait till our businesses fail. I mean, ideally, we wouldn't wait till it's failing to start to address it. We would have a plan for success right from the beginning, right from the start. Before we have our brick and mortar or our e-commerce, we would have a plan in place. Couples don't do that. Mm. We are raised on Disney and Hallmark. And while they are lovely companies, they promote this idea that love just happens. And then we hope and pray that our relationships will work out. Yeah. It boggles my mind because we would never do that in business. We would have a plan first. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of prevention instead of intervention. Have a plan right from the beginning. Have these conversations and lay it out right from the start. That's how success is most likely achieved. You know, it's funny that you said Disney because what <laughs> happens is once the characters get together and in Disney's movies, it's mainly a man and a woman getting together, a prince and a princess or whatever, getting together. Like once they've gone through whatever hurdles it takes for them to get together, then it's, oh, and they lived happily ever after. So like, I think that's like, we think about, okay, well, I'm going to go through all this shit to find the right person that I'm supposed to be with. And then it's going to be happily ever after. Not realizing there's a ton of shit that happens after you've dedicated your life to somebody. Right. And I think the misnomer is, well, if you want your relationship to work, it's a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. And I push back against that all the time. It's not hard work. It doesn't have to be hard work. Right. It's diligence and dedication. It is yeah. every day waking up saying, okay, I'm going to give all I have today. Well, not all. I'm going to give what I can, what I have, what I have to the relationship today. And some days it's 80% of yeah. what you have. And some days it's like, I only have 40% today, yep. but you give everything that you have available in that day. And you make a conscious choice. You don't just sit back and say, okay, now I can focus on my career or the kids or pets or whatever it is, because my relationship is already committed. Right. No. If you want to stay committed, it is a daily choice to do the things just like you do in your career. I'm so glad you brought up this percentage thing because I, Chris and I have been saying to, this to each other for a long time. The listeners know I own my own business. My husband owns his own business. Even though we don't have kids doesn't mean we don't have a tremendous amount of familial responsibilities and we have the dogs and everything. And well, now dog now, but we do have this check-in with each other where I say to him, I have to be honest, I have only 60% to give to this marriage right now because I'm so consumed with other things. And it's actually helped. Like at first I thought it was bad. Like it was like a sign of like, I was waving my white flag. Like I don't have it. But then I realized like the when I can't give 100%, he'll pick up the other percentage and vice versa. Right. Right. 
again, same as in business. And I, I will consistently bring our conversation and my clients back to this idea that when let's just imagine that, you know, you're running a business and you've got multiple projects going on. If you are a successful and effective leader, when you have a lot on your plate, you will turn to your team members and you will say, hey, look, I'm at my my point where I have too many things going on. Can you do this? Can you pick up the slack here? Because this is all I have. So I need you to step in. But we assume very often in our relationships that our significant other will just know when we're what help we need. And it drives me crazy. I'm like, we cannot read each other's minds. So if you don't clearly say, just like you do at work, hey, look, I need you to do this. I could really help, you know, appreciate you stepping in at this point. We do this just intuitively professionally, but in our relationships, it's like, again, mind reading or not asking for what we want need because we are just tapped out and that's okay. That's how it can be an effective interaction. Yeah. Okay. So on to the second strategy, which I actually love. I love, I didn't think I would. (laughs) The second strategy is to create a mission statement. Now, Almost every business, 99% of businesses have a mission statement. It's like, what is the purpose of this company? What are our values? What are our core values and how they translate into what we're trying to achieve? What does that look like when it's translated into a mission statement for a relationship? Yeah, it's, it's actually not any different. It is looking, it's a couple sitting down and deciding what is going to be the one word to five sentences, because it's still short, just like a mission statement for a business, Mm -hmm. because if it's too long, it's cumbersome, and it'll be an ineffective tool. And you're deciding what promotes our relationship, where do we want to get to, and what do we have in our toolbox to get there together? I hear a lot of families who say, well, we have a family mission statement, which is lovely, but the family didn't start until the couple was in place. And so the work around couples coaching is you start with the couple and what is the statement that is going to keep you two united, moving forward in the same direction and with that unified goal that might be in the present or in the future. And then the mission statement becomes a litmus test to evaluate every decision, Mm -hmm. every behavior, either individually or collectively as a couple to say, okay, is what we're doing right now really going to get us to that mission statement? Is Mm -hmm. it aligned with our mission statement? Is what I'm about to say to my partner clearly aligned with our mission statement or is it completely taking us off track? So it's not just words on a piece of paper that you, you know, frame and hang or put it Mm -hmm. on your phone. It's a dynamic tool to, for reevaluation for everything you do, either individually as part of the couple or as a couple together. Do you have an example of what an effective mission statement would look like for a couple? Sure. One that um, that most recently came up, and I'm, I'm not going to get it exactly as beautifully as the couple did it, but theirs was something to the effect of to live a life of kindness towards self partner and others. Hmm. Simple. So they are kind to themselves first and foremost, because the couple said, you know what, we were individuals before we were a couple. Right. So if we don't continue to be kind and have grace with ourselves. We're not going to be at our optimal functioning for the relationship. Then it's kindness toward, toward partner, which mm-hmm. to them, because it's a personal statement to mm-hmm. them means respect 
and honesty and openness and vulnerability. It enca- that one word of kindness and captures all of those ideas for this couple. Okay. And then finally to others, others is everybody else, their colleagues, their, they own a business mm. together. So their yep. organization, their kids, everybody else. And again, reflecting those, how they operationalize kindness. Mm. And that's what they use in every conversation with each other, with themselves, with other people. And that's what's moving them forward. I can tell you that that wouldn't have been my mission. <laughs> I don't think I'm a kind person. Like, I think I'm a sarcastic, like, I don't know, fast. <laughs> it's funny because I was like, whoa, that would another, not have been my mission statement. <laughs> no, another one that I knew of was one that talked about this idea of success. The couple was very driven. Mm-hmm. Their kids were long gone. And they said something I wish I, I should memorize some of these because some of them are so good, but it was basically about supporting success to grow individually and collectively as a couple. Yeah. And then they I operationalize think, success. Yeah. I think that would be some closer to what Chris and I would create because we are so invested in the other person's success. Like that's our, our love language is, is giving each other the space and the tools to be as successful as they can be because we both know for us how important our companies are and you know what we do for a living because we both love what we do for a living so much so yours would be something potentially if if you were working with me julie it might be something to create space and resources to support success individually and as a couple Mm -hmm. and also to have fun like we i don't want everybody to think like i mean we do have a tremendous amount of adventure in our life. So I think adventure would have to make it in there somehow. So, okay. On to three. The third one I thought was very interesting. And before I tell what the three is, it's, I think societally having come up to a certain point, there were very specific gender roles within couples and what was seen as female responsibilities versus male responsibilities. So when I saw number three, I was very interesting because it says outline roles. And immediately I was like, hmm. Yes. Have we like I immediately was curious, like, have we already outlined roles in our family? And the only one I could think of was, yes, I do not touch the trash. (laughs) I do not touch the trash. I don't know what day the trash goes out. I don't know what day like the recycling happens that is it's like poof it's gone it's like trash never happened (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it i think couples do this informally as you just your example was perfect julie because you think things that naturally fall under someone's skill set or preferences happen Mm -hmm. but the challenge for a lot of couples are those in-betweens or the ones that they haven't really delineated so that the resentment and frustration doesn't build up. Mm. And again, delineating roles and titles does not mean that that's permanent. Sometimes those are going to change depending right. on the relationship, you know, evolution. But I work with couples to try and talk about their relationship in business terms because it creates objectivity and strategy instead of that emotional reaction that sometimes happens when couples are trying to tease out pain points. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about delineation of roles, very often we are talking about more specifically, who's the CFO? 
who's the COO? There's no CEO in, in relationships for it to work effectively. So we, okay. we eliminate that one. Who's the fleet manager? Who is the human resources representative? So we talk about it and then I have couples break down. Okay, what does that actually mean? You know, what is yeah. Because it's hard for them to say, well, what do you mean by human resources manager? Well, the like, first thing you said was like CFO. I mean, it's like, does that mean one person's a hundred percent responsible for the finances? And like, how does that because so many okay, maybe this role has happened in my marriage and I didn't know. I have no if you ask me how much money I had in my bank account right now, I have no fucking clue. Okay, because my husband deals with all of the financials. Right. And so many of my female friends have said he could be having financial infidelity right now. You have no, like, how do you know that he's being honest with money when I'm like, well, I trust him. I mean, I mean, that's a very naive answer, but so many people have said, I can't believe you don't have any clue about your, I know how much I pay myself. I'm, I'm into the finances of my company. I know how much I pay myself. But if you ask me how much I order my mortgage right now, I'd be like, what? Right. And that's a great question, Julie, because what I usually bring people back to is, okay, so do CFOs in a company, do they have the, all the say, all the knowledge? Do they just like do everything without any kind of advisory? And of course, that's not true. That when they have a question or when they need input, they get it from the board or whoever else is involved in that process. But the CFO is the one in charge of the umbrella perspective. Mm-hmm. Your husband and mine as well, because he loves numbers and I hate numbers. <laughs> I avoid them whenever I can. And he's good at them. So mm-hmm. he manages all of our finances. And mm-hmm. when I want an update, he gives me an update. Okay. Sometimes I, I feel I, that I want more connection. And that's where one of the other strategies comes into play where we regularly meet and I get those updates. But when he's going to go spend money or invest money, he comes to me because it's not a unilateral decision. He right. just has the big picture. When it yeah. comes to how our house is structured, the culture of our family, yep. when we had kids living in the house, I was the COO and I still am the CEO, but I'm thankfully that that role has decreased. But I orchestrated that because I'm good at it. And Mm -hmm. because I'm more touchy feely and, and the kids were more likely to come to me first. Mm -hmm. And then I bring him in and he was comfortable with that. So make sure that the responsibilities are spread across a couple and it might not be you have five roles and i have five roles it might be okay well cfo is a huge role so i'm going to take a couple of the smaller pieces mm-hmm. it's whatever works for a couple but it's clearly outlined in it so two people aren't trying to pay the bills every month which is not yeah. going to work or yeah. two people aren't trying to manage the kids schedule which is not going to work or plan right. vacations or yeah again, manage the cars and then nobody's managing the cars and you forget to register your car, which happened to us one year. So, I mean, that's why delineation goals is so important. Yeah. It's funny when you talked about making unilateral financial decisions. It's so funny having this conversation because I didn't even realize Chris and I were instituting some of the things that you're talking about. Like, even though he's he's a CFO, uh, which I've just realized he's the CFO of this family, we have an agreement that you can spend money on whatever you want under $300. Over $300, it has to be a conversation between the two of us to say, is this money we want to spend? Correct. So, oh, very interesting. Very interesting. Maybe that's why we're been married for so long. That very well could be. And or maybe it's because nobody else wants me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Anymore. But I think that does happen. Some couples do come in and they're like, oh, we're doing these things or we're mm-hmm. doing 
And what what the fun of those couples are, then we get to find the things that they aren't doing. And it's a quick, yeah. you know, it's a quick interjection of some additional strategies to the strategies that are already working. Plus, mm-hmm. it lets them know, again, they are doing things deliberately. They didn't have terms and names for it, but they actually have a structure that is working. And now how do we make sure it keeps working? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the fourth one is obviously very important. Identify pain points. Mm, yes. Now, go ahead. <laughs> I feel like there could be potentially so many pain points in a marriage, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. That might be hard to talk about. It is. And most people come into, again, traditional couples work with, you know, these are the issues, this is the problems. And again, as soon as you talk about problems, your brain goes to a really negative and yeah. defensive place. But pain yeah. point. While it means something very similar, it's more of that business like stepping back a little bit. And you're right. Couples could list, some couples could list out all the problems, but very often pain point allows there to be a theme. So maybe it's he never talks to me or she never tells me when she's spending money or when we have a conversation, it always erupts into you know some kind of conflict. Well, that's under the theme of ineffective communication. That's the pain point. Right. Tease out like every issue because that is overwhelming to a couple and sometimes feels like it's it's not something they they can accomplish. But if we're going to work on communication in general, because we have clear examples of where it breaks down and then use those examples as case studies to start to practice Mm -hmm. strategies and different protocols, that's what we're looking at. So pain points very often are around themes that are starting to dismantle the relationship. Again, just like business. If you're not achieving a goal, you figure out what the pain points are that are are helping, are making you mm-hmm. miss your mark. Same in a relationship. The pain points are making you miss your mark for the relationship you want, the satisfaction, the fulfillment, the happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Themes. I like that. So it's not like you're just nitpicking one thing. There's right. a theme That's- of... Because I could imagine there's a theme of communication. There's a theme of intimacy. There's a theme of whatever. Two big so, ones. <laughs> those are the two big ones. Yes. Those are. It's, we don't talk about the fact that we don't have sex and then we don't have sex. Like that's it, right? That's like the, the, the big cycle there that, that happens it. in a lot that of marriages. It. And it's very funny when that topic comes up. And I dive into it pretty quickly because mm-hmm. I am uh, in other, other areas and roles in my life. I talk about sexual wellness very frankly. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, sex really isn't, an, you know, it's not something that we really think about anymore. I'm like, that's not healthy. Right. You know, if you weren't talking, that would be a clear red flag. If you weren't spending time together, that's a clear red flag. When you're not having some kind of physical intimacy, however you define it, mm-hmm. that's a red flag. So let's right. talk. Mm-hmm. That's a pain point. It is. That's a theme of a pain point. Okay. And so I'll be honest, this last one, <laughs> I wasn't a fan of these when I was in corporate America, so I'm not going to be a fan of them now, but maybe you can change my mind. Okay. The fifth strategy is to schedule evaluations. And my first thought was like, oh, like a 360 review, which I always <laughs> sucked at that somebody was always like, she's good, like 75% of the time, but then she's too loud and crass and whatever. And I was like, <laughs> fuck you and your 360. How you like that? <laughs> So, okay, we'll talk about evaluations now. (laughs) Why do we do evaluations, Julie? When we're in our professional lives, why do they get done? Well, I suppose they get done 
so that problems don't get big. Some things that maybe are an issue don't become bigger and or there's issues we don't even see. Right. So you have one half dead on. We use evaluations to foresee any issues that could come up that we could address sooner Mm -hmm. and quick. Because again, like physical health, we're not going to wait till our leg is numb and black before ideally (laughs) when we go to the doctor, when it starts tingling, that's when we go. So in any type of evaluation, professional or relationship, we're trying to head off the black numb leg. Mm -hmm. In addition, we're also looking at what are we doing well? So Mm -hmm. again, in my experience, physical doctors do a good job when they not only point out the bad things, but like, wow, you're finding 30 minutes, you know, three to four times a week to get physical movement. That's terrific. Is there Mm -hmm. any way that you can maybe bump that up one extra day? So they're Mm -hmm. finding the things you're doing well and trying to get you to continue to maintain them or even add to them. Mm -hmm. That's what these evaluations do is very often couples will, you know, and even in like really good relationships, they'll be like, how are you? How do you think we're doing? Oh, we're doing great. Okay, Mm -hmm. good. And they move on. And I'm like, that's not an evaluation. Sometimes It's a quick word. So I suggest to couples that when they're really doing their, they're solid and things are really very successful, they check in at least once a month, but at worst, once a quarter, when things are really challenging, it's once a week and they sit down, they designate 45 to 60 minutes. They don't have to use it all. And they actually have a private structured conversation around their relationship. And what that looks like is that, again, very much like a business meeting, they have an agenda, they have the pain points that they want to review. They make sure that one thing that's built into evaluation is they have their KPIs. How are they actually knowing that things are either improving or things are not progressing the way they mm-hmm. want. And KPIs are important because otherwise we're like, it feels like we're getting better. I'm like, oh right. my goodness, in business, we would never, I can't even imagine, Julie, you're like, yeah, it feels like things yeah. are going well. We want numbers and data and evidence to show that. Same thing in our relationships. And this doesn't have to be this inauthentic or stoic approach. It's like, so with physical intimacy, maybe a couple starts working with me and they're not having sex at all. Mm-hmm. And so their KPI might be, okay, we're going to have sex since they're not having it at all for six <laughs> months. We're going to have sex once a month and we're going to mm-hmm. schedule it on our calendars because we know then it'll happen. And if they, in their evaluation meeting, yeah. like, okay, we actually had sex twice this month. So we have improved by that ratio, by that percentage. Yeah. We we are clear that we made progress on this. Yeah. You know, if, if their communication is, <laughs> we are not going to fight. Yeah. Six out of seven days, they actually have evidence so that then they mm-hmm. can make adjustments. That's what an evaluation for your relationship does. So if there's any listeners who don't understand what a KPI is, KPI is key performance indicator. And they're used in business all of the time to just as Robin said, to make sure you are striving for and reaching goals that you have set. It is so funny that you talked about this because I never thought that I was going to relate to these five strategies so much, but maybe Chris and I, because we have business hats, I can't even believe I'm going to tell this story. A number of years ago, before I owned my business, I was traveling a ton. And Chris said to me at one point, like, I don't think we're having enough sex because you're traveling. And then when you come home, you're really tired. And I, 
instead of becoming defense, well, I probably came defensive at first because I was like, well, what the fuck do you want me to do? You want me to be this like high powered woman or do you want me to lay in bed all day? You know, like it was like, <laughs> so first when I got that off my chest, then we, I didn't know they were called KPIs back then, but we, I can't believe I'm going to admit this. We came up with a strategy, which was we will have sex twice a week and we will do it and name it Quickie Friday. Right. And Quickie Friday was like, don't try anything cute. Like, let's just do it before we get up and go to work. And then we had Sunday fun day. And Sunday fun day was we could have sex whenever we wanted. We would like have time set aside and it wasn't rushed. Friday was seriously rushed. I was like, let's fucking go, you know, because I got to get up and go running and go to work. But we did that for a very, very long time to make sure that we were getting back into a a schedule of intimacy in our relationship. Because I got to be honest, I was traveling so much that I didn't even see the weeks go by. And I know my husband was like, fuck, it has been like in his mind. In, in certain people in certain relationships, some way into some intimacy heavier than others. So in my mind, I was traveling. I was doing all this stuff. I was giving to the relationship. I was making sure that we had enough money for him to quit his job and start his business. But that didn't translate to him as like a love language or as like intimacy. Like it did for me at the time because I was like, this is the highest and best use of my time. But not for him. So it's funny that you say that because we so we did do that for a little while. And all of our friends made fun of us on Fridays. They would like text us. Did you they were like, did you have did you have Quickie Friday? And it was like, yes. Yes. <laughs> and then, then the response for me would be, and did you? Like, <laughs> I know. I should have said that, right? One of my favorite couples, actually, it wasn't a couple, it was a female client that I was working with. She and her husband weren't having sex. Things got in the way. They were busy. They would try and make these elaborate dinners and then they'd be exhausted. Yes. So I asked her flat out, I'm like, do you own a crock pot? And she's like, yeah, we got one for my wedding. We never use it. I'm like, okay, what if one night a week you use the crock pot to make a dinner? Mm -hmm. And that becomes the night that maybe then you'll have extra time after because you won't have the prep and the cooking and the cleanup. And her funny, so you had quickie Fridays and fun, you know, Monday, Sundays. On their calendar, it was cockpot night. Oh, I and I loved that so much because people would see it on their calendar and they would just assume it, it was, was crockpot. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But the couple knew exactly it meant yes, we're going to cook in the crockpot so that we can we also can have, have for each other later. And I, mm-hmm. I love some of the creative, fun ideas. Yeah couples come up with. Mm-hmm. I'm not an expert of their relationship. I can be an expert to guide them through strategies and looking at things a different way. They know what works for them. And it's getting them to the place where it doesn't feel as heavy. So yeah. they come up with these funny, lighthearted, or yep. important strategies that work for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And like after we watched Borat, oh gosh, Borat was ages ago, but he used to call it sexy time and he would say it in this you know, his Borat accent. <laughs> I swear to God, for like three years afterwards, my husband was like, you want sexy time? And I was like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, really? Okay, but now I'm totally turned off because you sound like Borat. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Yeah. Let's, because I want people to go watch your TED Talk. Let's talk a little bit about, in the time we have left, about your TED Talk and how, no, I, I know how you came up with the idea because you did it. You gave your daughter a vibrator. But why... It was so important that you talk about it 
on this stage. And then also what the response has been since you because your TED Talk, I think you did it in May, but it wasn't aired until September because it takes time for the videos to be made and everything. So first, why that was important and then the feedback you've gotten. So it was important, Julie, because so I was raised by a mom who was an OBGYN nurse. So we always had these <laughs> candid conversations. Mm-hmm. And luckily, I, I would, I, my, my partner, my partner, my husband is equally as open and outspoken when it comes to this is just part of life. And so we mm-hmm. have these candid conversations with our own kids and, and sometimes their friends after they've been warned, like, look, our parents talk about anything. <laughs> Be careful what you ask at the dinner table. Yeah. But it really came down to the more I thought about it in, you know, my personal life, I didn't really plan, you know, it wasn't like, as I said in the TED Talk, you know, bras, braces, tampons, and vibrator. Mm-hmm. It just came up in a conversation randomly one day with my older daughter. And it just started this like almost whirlpool of why don't we do this? Why don't we not just empower young girls and women, but women in general about this is yours. This entity Mm -hmm. that you exist in is yours. Mm -hmm. And if we can do that early, I believe, and I've seen that they start to find their voice earlier, which is going to translate to their relationships, to their careers. This is what we want. We want women, certainly like you, Julie, that are outspoken and ready and outspoken in in that, not that derogatory term that we like outspoken is good. Mm -hmm. Like speaking out the things that are important, talking about the taboo topics. Mm -hmm. So the more I like percolated on this, the more I was like, I I want this to be an opening point for potentially parents to have these conversations with all their kids, not just Mm -hmm. just, just girls, but in my world, specifically girls so that they can talk about anything, anywhere mm-hmm. to anyone as appropriate. You know, you're not necessarily going to just walk into a business meeting and talk about vibrators, mm-hmm. but you have that comfort because you're already connected to that part of your life. Mm-hmm. So it is a topic I get very fired up about. And not just when people are like, so what's your TED talk about? And I tell them the title and I see some people's reaction. And I'm like, yep, go watch it before you judge. Because right. it's not just about that. It is about how to give women the power they have and let them see it and use it. Mm-hmm. So that's been just, it's been so fun. And you asked about the response. I would say 95% of the responses, either in person or online, have been positive. Mm-hmm. It's such a gift to know that people are excited that maybe I started the conversation or at least I was one of the ones to start the conversation I'm in their lives. And now they're going to just, just run with it. Hopefully. Yeah. I think you probably, I I did go through the comment section. (laughs) Oh, your TED talk. And they were, it was 99% people saying this is a conversation we have to have. Thank you for talking about it. And I hope it empowered some mothers to have that conversation with their daughters or empowered their mothers to go tell their daughters to go watch the talk, you know, maybe they couldn't have the conversation right away, but like, maybe there has been such great stories that have come. Like those are truly like, just, just like gems for me when moms and even more lately dads are coming up to, you know, if I, if they recognize me, which is kind of weird and fun. Yes. Isn't it weird and fun at the same time? Yeah. Or if they're reaching out online, stories of, of parents 
or sisters or friends who are yeah. like, ah, we I've had a book group and I decided to bring my vibrator and just say, hey, everybody else. And then all the women admitted, almost all the women admitted mm-hmm. that they had one. And the one woman in the book club who didn't have one got a chance to ask questions because they were like, like, what am I missing? The <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, this is so cool that this is like just starting to be what yeah. we do. And there's so many great companies. I mean, Sephora, Ulta, and I think some of the big department stores like Lord and Taylor's and Nordstrom's are starting to carry vibrators. Well, Goop does too. I'm not a big proponent of Brenda Paltrow, but I know she has a tremendous amount of intimacy products yeah. on Goop. So yeah, so it's it's great that this is becoming less of this again hidden. We use that word taboo topic, and it's just mm-hmm. part of being a full person, a whole yeah. person. So, yeah. When I was young, when I was in my early 20s, I lived in Coolidge Corner in Brookline Village, and there was a store. It was up in the back, maybe. Of course. <laughs> it was called The Grand Opening, and it was a sex shop, but it also offered classes. So she would have intimacy classes and classes on, like all the. And first, my girlfriend, Hallie, who is now a psychotherapist with a specialization in sex therapy. Her and I used to go and like go and listen to the lectures and like buy shit while we were there. And then when I met my husband, I started taking him to the classes when we were there because I did want to have an open conversation and talk about it because I think that's important to have. It seemed I mean, that was almost 25 years ago. It seemed. I can't even believe that was there 25 years ago, but it was amazing. <laughs> it was such a great little gem in my life at that time. So when it comes up with couples that I work with, you know, I, it's reminding women that being a director in the bedroom, if you are in a loving relationship is really valuable to your mm-hmm. partner, that women's bodies are so complicated and and they vary our sex drive varies sometimes daily yeah only by different phases of our life and why do we assume at least in heterosexual relationships that our male partner who does not have our parts who has not had the opportunity to play with our parts maybe as long as we have i hope as long as we have why should they just know they're they're fumbling and any direction we can offer how valuable and if something doesn't work if a body part or, or a strategy doesn't work the way we want then there are toys that we can yeah. incorporate. And that's where it's getting past this idea. So many of the stereotypes that, you know, sexual wellness devices detract from your partner's ability mm-hmm. or power. It's like, oh my gosh, it gives them other options. Like, right. Well, I have a toolbox of stuff. And if some of my own personal body parts aren't working, let's do some of the other things. Right. That's right. so cool to me. Well, this has been, I just, I honestly didn't think I was going to have as much to I thought I was just going to sit back and learn. I didn't realize I was doing some of the things. That you <laughs> I love. We're going to talk about, but it has been fan, fan fantastic. I knew it would be. I knew it would be, Robin. Like I, and like so, the listeners know. Like we met in this random Zoom room for NSA New England, yeah. and then we started talking afterwards. And through the course of our conversations over the past four or five months, we found out we have the same exact hairdresser i know i see i see missy picture on thursday and i will be mentioning you to her i literally was in her office um her salon last thursday it's literally so i got it all cut off like i was literally in her salon on thursday 
like how fucking random. This is why people I mean, aside from everything, like you've got to start networking in random rooms like you don't know, understand, like the world is small and we are more interconnected than you could ever imagine. So I really appreciate that you do this work, Julie, because if there was when I meet younger women, the one biggest piece of advice I give, and your name comes up regularly, is start networking now. Don't wait till you're in your 40s. Yeah. Why are we not talking about this to people who are in high school and college? So it just becomes part of what they naturally do. Because like you said, you could be standing in a grocery store line and all of a sudden talking to someone behind you. And it turns out they have an ability to support you or you have the ability to support them. And that's, those are the conversations I wish happened more often. So yeah, thank you for that. Well, Robin, I love this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here, for being part of my network, for always be. You're such a big cheerleader of me, and I appreciate that so much. And I can't wait to see you again. Awesome. Thank you so much, Julie. Ha. So I guess Chris and I were kind of doing some of these strategies without even knowing it. Or maybe we knew it. We just weren't defining them as strategies. But it makes sense, right? I mean, instead of trying to make up new rules of engagement, so to speak, in our relationships, why not use the same business strategies that we know already work? It may seem like a turnoff to think about your relationships in business terms. I get that. But that's just semantics. It doesn't need to feel rote and cold if we understand that what we are really trying to achieve is a stronger, more fulfilling relationship. And I, for one, am all in on that. So out of these five, what was your favorite tip or the one that you think you could most easily incorporate into your relationship as it stands or the one that you think would provide the most benefits? Do you think you could incorporate that one strategy in your relationship starting today? I'm going to put a link to the entire article that I used as the guideline for this interview in the show notes so that you can read through the strategies again. And I encourage you to watch Robin's TED Talk. I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Okay. (laughs) Uh, On to the drink of the week, which is aptly named the vibrator. Here's what you're going to need. One ounce of Stoli raspberry vodka, one ounce of orange vodka, three-fourths ounce of Chambord raspberry liqueur, orange juice, and cranberry juice. They say for the best presentation of this cocktail, it is suggested to use a hurricane glass. So what you're going to do is pour all of the liquor ingredients into an ice-filled hurricane glass and then fill with equal parts of orange and cranberry juice. Stir well and garnish with two cherries and serve. All right, friends, that's it for this week. If you like what you heard today, please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Also, please remember to share the podcast to help it reach a larger audience. If you want more Julie Brown, you can find my book, The Shit Works, on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And you can find me on LinkedIn at Julie Brown BD. Just let me know where you found me when you reach out. I'm Julie Brown underscore BD on the Instagram. Or you can just pop on over to my website, juliebrownbd.com. Until next week. Cheers, guys. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.